Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Neuroaffirming Parent Podcast. It's dedicated to neuroaffirming parenting and empowering families. I'm your host, the Neuroaffirming Parent, and today we have a really important topic to discuss, which is literacy. And we are not alone for this episode. Currently, we have my lovely Instagram friend, Elizabeth Ford. She's a mom. She's currently flexi-schooling her daughter. She's a teacher. She's a tutor. She's a podcaster and a passionate advocate for science of reading and structured literacy for parents. So if you're interested, you can follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Reading Garden Club. She's currently doing a wonderful five-minute day, just five minutes a day, reading challenge for parents and educators. So you can also subscribe and listen to her podcast at the hashtag Dear Reading Teacher on all major platforms. And she has a great lineup of passionate people coming to talk with her about all things literacy. So without further ado, let's begin. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, mom. I'm so happy to have you here and that I can support this amazing podcast that you're starting. Thank you so much for being my first guest. And thank you again for having me as a guest on your own podcast, because honestly, when I found your page on Facebook, thanks to that lovely algorithm, I no longer felt alone in so many ways. And we talk about that on your episode too. And I am so happy that you've expanded your brand, especially because I'm I'm selfish. I like Instagram and I like my little community, but please tell us your story because I know that, you know, you have such a rich background that so many people can relate to. Yeah. So um, it's very complicated. I think how I, I ended up here because it wasn't really my intention when I started as an educator or even when I started my journey as a parent um, to be a business owner of something called Reading Garden Club to leave the classroom. Um, And so I think if, you know, I wanted to, you know, give you the short version of the story, um, I started as a special educator Um, That was my intention as I got trained, but I also got trained as an elementary teacher. And when I was in the elementary schools, um, principals really wanted classroom teachers. And it was like the special educator was the last hire. And so because I had shown in my student teaching that I was a strong like classroom um, manager of the different, you know, students that I have, um, they, (laughs) they wanted me in that role. So I had that you know, awesome opportunity. I think every educator should play both roles um, if possible, if they have the training and the interests and the desire to. Um, But um, I got to be a classroom teacher in the elementary classroom. And I'm talking about this, you know, some more, I think in my episodes um, on my podcast, but I definitely want to share it with your listeners as well. I actually uh, got trained as a dyslexia tutor at the same time. So, so I had cool. all this, I know, right. And I never thought about it that way, but I had all this beautiful training, right? I was an elementary teacher. I could be a special educator. And when I was, you know, graduating from grad school, I also had dyslexia um, uh, training from Wilson, which is a Orton Gillingham 
similarly based um, research based program and it's been working for students with dyslexia for decades um, and you know I highly recommend it but I wasn't connecting the dots between those three trainings and right. you know coursework and I wasn't always realizing that even though in my mind I was like well all educators should be special educators right like they should just approach the child in front of them and we don't necessarily always need the label to know that someone is struggling and they need help yes. and, and you you teach them because you're the adult and you know how to problem solve better than they do and you know how to get resources better than they do um because they're children and so I had that philosophy but I didn't know how to you know just intertwine all three of those skill sets and, and then I started did yeah, was there ahead. like a, a certain moment that made you like did you always have that philosophy or did you notice a shift of when that happened I always had that philosophy like I went in to the program I chose as a teacher knowing that it, I would get two degrees like it was part of the oh, program nice. that yeah, yeah everyone it's called urban teachers maybe right now but it, back then it was urban teacher center or something like that so it was a very different way of training as a teacher and I also won the teacher lottery like no joke I that's how I feel about it by getting trained in the Wilson program while I was still in grad school but like I said I think it's important for parents to know this is back in like you know the 2000 early 2009 10 11 like 12 13 14 when I was getting trained as a teacher um, that, that I didn't know how to connect those dots, even though I had that, you know, overall philosophy and I chose my teacher training program for a specific reason, but I didn't know how to mesh it because nobody at my school talked any structured literacy language. Yeah. Um, nobody. Right. And so it took till COVID. So fast forward, I moved up to middle school and I'm truly a special educator now. I'm not a classroom teacher. Then I'm in high schools. I'm a truly a special educator in different kinds of settings and a classroom teacher, but feeling like I'm a classroom teacher sometimes <laughs> in the high school setting. Like sometimes just the numbers were like, oh, well, it is what it is today. Got it. Yes. Um, but um, when COVID hit and then I realized I, I'm going to have to teach my own child how to hmm. read. I mean, she was going to an amazing Montessori public school in Washington, DC, and they were doing some great hands-on multi-sensory type of great quality structured literacy. Honestly, like, I don't know what their scope and sequence was, but I know she would have learned how to read. I, yes. I had no concerns, but COVID hit pre-K four. Um, and I had been doing work with her, you know, like flexi schooling means that we send them to school and they come home and we keep doing it. However, we engage our children, however it looks, whether it's field trips, whether it's mine was literally like my challenges right now, five minutes per day. Um, no, I feel just that. Just trying to engage her in whatever literacy I could. Yeah. And so I, this was intentional though. I had small goals, but um, it was very intentional. So we were flexing schooling from the beginning, but then COVID hit and she didn't engage with her kindergarten teacher on the screen she did her thumbs down she sang over the teacher she just didn't <laughs> yep. like it sounds like my daughter <laughs> and it was fine it's fine um I didn't you know have high expectations or hopes because that would be unrealistic and even as a teacher I'm sure like every teacher if they haven't said that's how we felt we 
no one was trained to teach online. Okay. At no point in any of my, you know, trainings was I ever taught to teach online. So it was so hard for me to even imagine how, how is a kindergartner going to learn? So kudos to all the early childhood teachers that figured something out, right? They figured something out. Some people did it. Like their students grew, they're doing structured literacy online. I've heard some great stories like that. So we'll celebrate that, but my child did not do it. The question is that- uh, is yeah. that part of what empowered you to become a tutor? Because I see that a lot with teachers. Yes, I had to. I literally was like, I can't go to a SPED meeting and say, well, my child is rolling around on the floor and that's yeah. developmentally appropriate for her, but there's a lawyer in this meeting. Yes. And I'm, and maybe I haven't made this clear and, you know, it's not something that, you know, I have a lot to say and wisdom to parents. It's hard work, but I'm a single parent. And it's hard yeah. work. So like during COVID, it felt even harder. I did live in a household with like a multi-generational um, relative system. But, <laughs> uh, no, but, but um, unfortunately my mom is going through dementia and that was like the beginning stages. So, oh, so sorry. honestly, COVID helped. Yeah. COVID helped us understand it faster, I think. So there was blessing in disguise because I was yeah. like, I'm watching this lady all day. It's not in my head. Yes. She can't deny that she's forgetting stuff. But also it was hard, I think, you know, as a single parent, um, trying to be a teacher, a classroom teacher, a SPED teacher. So um, I did, I had to resign um, and it was really a hard decision. Um, and I'm sure there's other, um, whether they're single parents or not single, but just parents teachers who had to change their whole career trajectory because of COVID and the lack of support. Like parents get in all industries for sure. I'm no, I get it. I have friends in other places, but in the school system, and I've seen this starting to become, I think, more accepted of a discussion. Um, there's a real pressure to make self-sacrifices Yes. Um, behind the scenes for teachers like they're like celebrated oh yes this teacher stayed after school for 30 extra hours this month but they have children so who watched them for those 30 extra hours so sometimes those self-sacrifices we're making for other people's children are it's such a beautiful thing but if you have your own children like my child was telling me nah, I'm not feeling this. You, you, you're nice to those people. And by the time you talk to me, you're tired. She would say that in her three or four or five-year-old way. And so I did have to make a hard decision. So that was when I actually, to be honest, just had time to connect the dots. I finally had time, Deanna, to connect the dots, to go back to, you know, like how I got trained in science and reading and got interested in structured literacy in this way. I was always doing dyslexia tutoring, but I just yeah. never connected the dots. And so, yeah, it was COVID and a blessing in disguise of being able to really homeschool my child at the beginning of the pandemic and learn that, oh, the stuff that I was doing in my first grade classroom, that's not working with her. I wonder why not. And let's just, yes, and that's so important. And we'll just clarify for our listeners that structured literacy Mm -hmm. is evidence-based approach teaching to reading and writing, and it breaks down language into its smallest components. And it focuses on phonology, 
phonics, syntax, semantics, and morphology, and that includes background knowledge. It doesn't exclude any of the reading or writing skills that are so important. And for me and you, I know we've talked about this um, so extendedly that it, it boggles our mind that you can see what's going on in the classroom and at home. I can see what's going on, what's not working in the classroom and what's working at home. And it doesn't make sense for us why somebody from the outside or even inside could look at this and be like, mm, I don't think that works. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I think that I just, I don't know how, what the problem is. I think it's just people want, they have good intentions. I do think people have good intentions in the education world of wanting to educate, but because they lack the knowledge and sometimes finding the knowledge and finding the right places to get the knowledge can feel like a lot of work, which is why like even an educated person like myself, it took me to COVID and having time to sit back and relax and also really reflect um, on just all of education. Cause you know, I think we were all up in arms and my brain was going all, in all kinds of places. Um, once I was being, um, you know, yes. forced to stay at home and think and not, you know, be distracted by all the things we would do when we left the house. But yeah, so I think that teachers and educators are afraid, um, the ones that are still naysaying, because I had someone comment on something I just posted today and they're of like, course. that's not a syllable. And I was like- Wait, what? And I started doubting myself, mom. I was just like, wait, I've been trained by this amazing company. I know what I know. I know this is like, you love Nessie. I love Nessie. And I was like, Nessie has videos on this. Okay. If Nessie has videos on it, this is a syllable. (laughs) So then what I did is I calmed myself down because that's the problem is that we get up in arms too fast. That's part of the problem, right? And then I think the ignorance is. I think for me on that moment, it was me getting up in arms. And for her, it was ignorance. She was thinking, because she said onset and rhyme mm. activity. And I was like, and oh, let's you know pause. What? Can we explain point. that? To yeah, people? go explain. There's a difference yeah, I can between explain that. rhyme, R H Y, and R I M E. So go ahead. Yes, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yes. So onset and rhyme is not the same thing as rhyming words like cat, hat, bat. Although um, there's like an element of you can feel like you're rhyming. Um, But basically, it's just taking a word like cat and breaking it down in different ways, whether it's onset, C-A, or rhyme, A-T, where you're just helping a child, a early reader, learn how to blend in the way that they can grasp it. Because not everybody needs that support. It is just a different way to learn how to blend. It is a supporting strategy. Um, And just like the, it's like a peak book that I was trying to like advertise to parents in a fun way that's the peak book is a strategy it doesn't even work for everybody because not everybody cares about paper my child did not care about paper so all these paper-based things that I am making for parents because they're asking for it so I'm doing it for y'all parents if your child's (laughs) not you're welcome I'm gonna do it for y'all but if your kid's saying no to it it's not you 
it's not the paper. It's you not listening to your child say, I don't want to deal with paper. That's yes. not engaging to me. And so that's why I don't have a lot of principles, but I'm going to still make it for the people who want it. And there are kids that love paper. So my child was the one that wanted paper that she could manipulate herself and that she could fold and cut and build something. So I like make these videos Tactile, for you guys. Even though right. you know, people hate on learning styles, but they teach us some good things about different ways to practice multi-sensory you don't have to be scared and differentiate yes like yes some of those profiles and the way they like make it so black and white is that's the problem but yes. it definitely helps I think teachers and parents who have to teach different types of kids maybe even the same family they learn differently and it's okay what worked for one child doesn't have to work for the other and I had to learn that the hard way too like what worked in the school let me rethink why did we do that for the school. Oh, it's because I'm teaching 30 children. The worksheet yes. is easier than helping 30 children cut. And now they're crying because if you've ever tried to manage 30 kids cutting and stapling because they can't staple themselves, you got to walk around <laughs> yes. and staple for 30 children. And then they're frustrated because they wanted to look perfectly like yours. I can see a teacher saying, I don't want to do that. Let's do the worksheet. It's just like they can color. It's less it's less engaging though. Right. And so I, I did have to do that, that th that's, those are the moments of reflection that I was able to have because I was really homeschooling in the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, I'm grateful for, so, you know, there's, there's a silver lining in getting to where I got to, but I, of course I wish, like we've talked about before that I, I connected the dots back in 2014 when I finally, you know, got my degrees in education and felt like I was accomplished. I didn't know what I was doing. So <laughs> yeah. So question, did you feel validated when all these teachers were finally seeing what you were seeing during the pandemic? Oh my God. Um, in the beginning of the pandemic, there's this one family in particular that I feel like I had such long conversations with the mom because she was the first person that like really would hear me out about the things you and I were discussing in our episode, um, you know, that we just recorded, but like, yes, I felt so mm. validated because like, even in the beginning of the pandemic, people were silent in the beginning, right? We were just, we're in it to win it. Or I forgot yes. what the hashtag was, sorry, but that good feeling that we needed, right? We did need to stay focused on, we need to stay <laughs> focused on not bashing that. But when we were ready, when Emily Hanford released her soul to story, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm still going to tell this parents need to go listen to it. If yes. you have not, it gives me goosebumps to re-listen to it. And I have, um, it, I, I was so tempted. That. Yeah. To set it like as a ringtone, because I was like, somebody needs to hear this other than me. <laughs> I don't even know how you would do that, but that, yes, people would ask questions, wouldn't they? But yeah, it changed, it changed everything. Um, like you said, from your perspective, um, from my perspective too, it changed everything. And it, it made me say, oh, well, this, this little company reading garden club thing that I started because I needed something to do to be still in the education world, like, cause this is still my passion and be present for my daughter during this pandemic. Oh, this is real. I, I can't, if I do go back to the classroom, I, I was not 
everyone's favorite teacher from mm. the admin side. I was a very vocal teacher. Um, All they saw was, so, oh, she's going to so, cause problems. Oh, well, here we go again. Yeah, oh. Yep. Yep. So that sold a story. And then um, I was talking to someone else about that group on Facebook, what I should have learned in college. Mm. That validated that is a good Facebook me. group. Yeah. That validated me. So like that whole title was like, absolutely. Right. Like even in my own college program, they didn't connect the dots and say, oh, and by the way, this dyslexia tutoring stuff, it's such gold that honestly, throw away half the stuff you learned in your literacy classes for being an elementary teacher and a special education teacher and just do this. That's what they should have said. They didn't say that to me. And I want to thank you for being so honest and vulnerable. I mean, I've seen that on your Instagram and on your Facebook posts. And it's important because a lot of people don't realize that these balanced literacy teachers aren't being told that they were taught the wrong way. We have literacy gurus that are refusing to apologize for charging lots of money to teach people the wrong way. And I see this today, even in my daughter's school that we love, we know that the dyslexia laws have implemented structured literacy in our state. And we know that my daughter's school has chosen a curriculum that is aligned with a company that believes in science of reading and structured literacy. But what did I see today? In my daughter's first grade curriculum, they are supposed to listen to stories and kind of look at cause and effect. And from the, I even went to the straight to the publisher's website and the lesson curriculum example says, okay, you're supposed to read the story and then talk about, oh, what happened in the story? Let's talk about the setting. What are the characters and all these literary elements, right? And this is her language arts class. We didn't hear that. Her teacher said, look at the picture. And where do we know that comes from? When you're a parent like us, it comes from balanced literacy. And so my daughter knows better, but there's parents and teachers out there that don't know any better. They think that that context clue works. They think it's good enough to tell a kid, look at a picture and they'll have enough information. So when they're given a multiple choice question, they can choose, oh yeah, that's what she was talking about. That's not explicit, that is implicit instruction. So I'm so thankful for tutors like you because we need parents to understand the difference. That's a problem, what you're describing right now. And well, what do you think is the problem? Like, what were you about to say? Cause I interrupted. Well, my, you know what? No, that's a good question. I don't, I'm trying to pinpoint the problem because Let's say, you know, we got the legislation done. We got the curriculum done. But I mean, mm. is it supposed to be like forcing these higher educations to have CEUs? Like who is it going to be holding the teacher accountable? Because if the parent isn't like me or you and doesn't know about structured literacy, how do they mm -hmm. know that's wrong? Because on the outside, yeah, sure. Look at a picture sounds great. But when mm -hmm. the kid gets the answer wrong on the test, then you're asking questions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I was going to say the is first and primary step, right? The first and primary step is obviously a semester long course 
for all educators literally that are going to get an education degree to teach someone how to read because we know that we are dealing with a problem that goes across generations right like i finally found that gentleman you told me about that is learning how to read like on social media and i'm about yes. to reach out to him and see if he needs a tutor because like his crying just hurts my heart well let's and his, talk about like, it because frustration hurts my heart because Yes. Let's talk about it it's because real. he's getting comments right now saying you're faking it. You know how to read. You're doing this for clout. You're doing it for attention. And he is what? obviously a child of special education, exclusion, segregation. He's even mm -hmm. saying publicly. I saw that, that. Yes. That he got abused by teachers. He was physically abused. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I know what you're talking about. Yes. I know what you're talking talking about because he's not the first adult that has said that to me because I'm a special education teacher and so that means I'm a trigger for some adults can you believe that as soon as I tell them my job they're like "Ooh, yes you and, I, and I'm like whoa what happened and I'm I blame sorry. like yes and the, the difference between you and like some of these like company tutor programs is you individualize it and you're a small business because a lot of kids, especially across the pond in the UK, you say a certain brand name of tutor company and they cringe. Oh, and for, for me, it's like, I feel so bad because I didn't really need a tutor. I was that kid in the class that was tutoring my friends because if they, if there was an AR party and my friend can go, I'm helping my friend pass that AR test so they can party with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Totally. But yeah, I think that, you know, to go back to your original question of like, what's a solution? Like, you know, why it's, why is it going to take so much? I think the solution, you know, especially because of the example, that example, I think really hit me hard. Um, I don't believe that all people think that all children can learn how to read. And the example I want to give is a real example where I had a parent of a child with Down syndrome and um, she didn't even want to tell me her child's disability because she mm -hmm. thought that, because I'm selling myself as reading garden club. So, and she's wanting someone to teach her child how to read. And I'm like, fine, great. And I have this great garden outside where I can take my students who really need breaks because one of the things I've learned as a dyslexia tutor in 10 plus years is the emotions and the trauma like that adult we we're talking about as experience over a lifetime starts obviously in the first grade. Like I've had first yes. graders ball in the assessment before we even get to lessons. So that garden was so actually to answer that question, that garden was for those children. It's for the trauma that they're experiencing. And that after 15 or 20 minutes of really explicit instruction from me, they're tired. And even if they only made two mistakes, those two mistakes made them feel like the crappiest thing ever. Right. Yes. And an explicit instruction, you got to talk about your mistakes. You can't yes. gloss over them. Right. And so we would go take breaks and they literally needed to leave the room and not be in that room and find joy some way. I also learned that a lot of these kids in 2023 don't like going outside. So sometimes my idea backfired and then I bought a trampoline in other ways for those children that didn't want to go outside. It's too hot, bugs, whatever. Um, yes. And met them where they were too, you know, like everybody's different. But the point was that the trauma is real and that we do need to um, 
realize that there is a lot of people in society, including educators, who have been taught to believe, or I don't know, for whatever reason, that not everyone can read. And that family didn't want me to know that their child had Down syndrome, because when I met the child, she could only identify the names of letters. How basic was it? And she was such a hard worker. She was such a hard worker. And she was not nonverbal, but her verbal skills were very low. Um, And it's because her, I think because her, her parents didn't know what they didn't know. And they were trusting so much of the school and the institution. They were also immigrants from another country. They come here. And so they thought it's better here. So they really were trusting, very, very trusting. And every time I had a conversation with them, I had to think about the trust that they had in this institution that was lying to them, mom, like lying to them. Yes. And that's my problem is because, and I feel like me and you are unique because we have a mixed background. So we know what it feels like to be considered other and to have all these expectations of you're not going anywhere in life. And then when we overcome those expectations, it's not a celebration. It's not a party of, Oh, great job. It's, Oh, you did that. Like with all the obstacles in front of you, like, and then it's this tokenism. It's this tribalism of, Oh, well, you're 1% of the population. So good for you. But all these other 99% of the people, mm, they don't need our help. They're fine where they're at. And for me, that bothers me because how many companies do you see today that profit off of special olympics even when i was in high school it was like a whole added class to help special olympics and it's like okay so we can empower people when they're other but when you realize that they can make achievements that open your mind why do you still put these unnecessary limitations and for me my research i don't believe this this myth of oh this person with this certain brain is unintelligent. I don't believe that anymore. I think that's something that has been told to us. I don't think it's been proven with evidence. So I think like what you're saying and you're seeing in your tutoring, when you have certain neurotypes like autism and even I'd argue people even claim people with ADHD don't know how to read. And it bothers me you know, when we kind of use accommodations as a supplement or kind of like, I've seen some teachers where they're like, okay, well, you know, if they can just have an, sorry, it leaves my mind, but the AAC, like the tablet for communication, oh, but then I don't have to teach them certain things. Or if they have, right, they don't have to persist in figuring out how to get that child to learn. And they're just like, well, let me just give them that tool or blame it on this disability. That's why they're not learning. It's not because I haven't figured it out. Oh, it's this, it's dyslexia, right? Let's just use dyslexia because, you know, the main thing, it's dyslexia's fault that they're struggling with that still. And I can stop. Just give them the audible. It's fine. And that's my problem too, because for me being so unidentified for so long, people don't have my insight because I wasn't viewed as dyslexic and it's almost survivor Mm. guilt for me because Mm. I've, seen some really, you know, experts and certain people that are very respected in the field of dyslexia say, well, you know, reading struggles are lifelong. And I'm like, no, no, they're not. Structured literacy helps reading struggles not be lifelong, but dyslexia is lifelong. I can't change the wiring of my brain. And also I don't want to, because I see something that somebody else doesn't. And 
that's a good thing. So <laughs> it's like, I'm not trying to fix but you, my strength. You know what I mean? I think you have to marinate on that, you know, and I've seen your recent posts like just with my child at school. Like I thought I would have more time y'all, but flexi schooling is actually sometimes feels like you got to cram everything in the <laughs> scheduled time. So I have not had time to fully process all the things you're posting recently, but I've noticed that you are talking about that distinction that you're talking about right now. And I think, I don't know how to narrate it either. I don't know how to explain to people that, yes, you can struggle with learning how to read. Um, and it's because of dyslexia or it's because of poor instruction or it's because of both or it's because you have a hard time focusing because of ADHD and poor instruction. There's so many like, you know, overlapping issues. But like, if we stop thinking about it as these disabilities, right? Like to go back yes. to why you are doing your advocacy work and where I see we connect instead of using that label dyslexia. And we talked about that as well. Like what's this really mean at this point? Um, Cause it's so distracting. People get that tribalism is really like, there are neurotypes and people's brains are wired differently. And we know that, that there are biological markers for dyslexia, but the reason why that, and this is something people really don't want to talk about. And you know, I mean, mom, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but there are some uh, psychologists that will not diagnose di dyslexia. Like, yes, that's will, why in a psychoeducational evaluation, they will yes. not do it because they're like, I don't know. If it's like, and they don't want to say it either, but I don't know if this kid even got proper instruction. What is happening in my neighborhood? Can you hear that? I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, that's my problem I'm seeing online because there's so much misinformation. And, and honestly, I know a lot of people will say neuroforming isn't for them because they they're kind of burnt out from gentle and positive parenting where it's just focusing on the strengths. And that's why I love neuroforming because it's not so much of this toxic positivity or negativity. It's just like this neutral, realistic term of, you know, we all have our brains. We're, we're born into this world the way we are. And mm -hmm. we have the ability, if our brains have the plasticity, plasticity to learn, then we have the ability to make our environment work for us instead of against us. Mm -hmm. I like the way you presented that. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel that yeah. with teachers too. So like we don't have to struggle with a curriculum that's not made for you. You know what I mean? We need to empower teachers to take the training you did or even parents take the free Cox Campus training I did that you can both work together and you don't have to be pit against the side of like a boxing match, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering even like when you look at teacher training programs and this is just me like getting super philosophical right now, um, but like if we could start having teachers really start selecting into a philosophy of thinking and being very intentional about how they think about child development. And mm, I think yeah. child development classes absolutely um, need to be in brain development classes need to be part of the um, all teachers curriculum in higher ed for sure to add on to the structured literacy class they're taking. But like, 
also asking them to, you know, make a soft choice. You can change, you can change your mind. Like I did, I can change. Yeah. If I want to change my mind tomorrow and say something different from what I said yesterday, I am absolutely that teacher and that parent and that human that gives myself space to do that. And other people, I can change my mind and learn something new that gives me a different perspective. And that's also, I think, like, I don't want to say a humble place to be at, but that's a place that not everyone's at because then you have to accept that you don't know everything. And that goes back to the fear of what's holding us back is us not being willing to accept that we don't know everything. Um, but, um, but I think your story, yeah, I think your story proves that when you sit back and especially with your mom instincts and you look at your teaching instincts and you see something that kind of you in your gut says, eh, that's not working. We should be able to empower people to be like, hmm, trust your exactly. gut there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that's that's what I'm saying. Like the a philosophy like of education class, where at the end of it, like, you know, you create um a professional learning community of at least your peers in that class. Um, we really think Waldorf education style for the early childhood we're into that. We're going to do self-reflection and research into more of this and come to a conclusion if we really like it at the end, like, and start that journey at the beginning of an educator's lifetime, because we, like I said, we can change and experience will change our minds. Like, I mean, I was so idealistic in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. I was willing to listen to the te- uh, the uh, admin that said, oh yeah, sacrifice another 10 hours and that will make such a huge difference in, you know, the school culture or whatever, you know, was a new project. And sometimes it did, but it also was at the detriment of, do I want to do this for a long time? <laughs> and so we have to balance these things, um, I think. Well, I think um, you bring up an important yeah. point because I know when I mention inclusive education, a lot of people think, oh, well-rounded. And that's not exactly what it is because we've done that and it doesn't work. You can't expect one general education teacher to know everything. Mm. I really, and I'm witnessing that this year with my daughter's school is co-teaching where you don't necessarily have to have one like specific, you know, kind of subject matter that you love or are good at. But think of two things like she has a science and math teacher and then she has um, a language arts and a social studies teacher and they kind of piggyback off of each other. And so, number one, they're not alone. Number Mm -hmm. two, it's not just throw everything on the parapro. But number three, it's like, you know, the child can see, hey, you know, I don't even if you want a career, it doesn't have to be oh, one specific degree that I have to follow down this path. It's, oh, I can choose a broad degree and then go specific into that niche later on. And I kind of see that from your career just because, you know, you started with this broad teaching and then the more training you got, you figured out what you wanted to do in the end. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I feel like we need to embrace that as, especially as a society, because not everybody can be, you know, the pop star or the reading guru, or, you know what I'm saying? Not everybody's going to be Oprah. Like we can't do that. Yeah. And I want to build upon what you're saying. Cause I think, I think a lot of people take the word inclusive because especially like for me, 
we're if you're in the special education world that very specific term is like tied to the law right mm. and so an inclusive education is a very specific thing versus um they literally have a term for it which is the least um restricted environment yes right? you don't want to put children um like you've been talking about in segregated environments just because they have a difference of learning um, but to go back to even big, the big picture of what you're saying, so you took that word and took it to a big place. And I think that's so real, which is that I, I think this idea that the school institution needs to look one way, that um, an elementary school needs to look one way um, is, is because we don't trust our training of our teachers, but also we're yeah. not doing a good job training teachers, that's for sure. But um you know, if we do have these problem solving type of courses, right, the, the course is not going to at the end say this is the right way and this is the wrong way. It's saying all the benefits of this way and the advantages, because you don't know where these teachers are going to end up. They That's may in the beginning part of their career be in an urban environment and by the end of it be in a rural environment. And the things that I would do in an urban environment, there is no way I would even think of doing in where we live right now. There's just no way. Yeah. And I and I think that this one size fits all approach or scripted lessons you and I have talked about, which is so insulting to a teacher. Scripted yes. lessons piss teachers off. Yes, they just do. They so really you do. know, world. Okay, parents don't advertise for that. You will not get teachers on your side. We don't need someone telling us what to say. Let's we pause on that. Could you imagine? That. <laughs> could you imagine giving birth and your doctor giving you a script as a parent and be like, "Oh, only say these things and nothing outside of it." I would be so mad. Do I want language? Do I want understanding? Do I want knowledge? Yes. Then let me deliver it how I want. And I often tell you know, my students, when they're like, you're kind of bipolar, that's what the high school <laughs> students are like. And I'm like, no, I'm putting on a show. Yes. Okay. When you walk in the door, I know I got to keep your attention. I mean, it's not a show where I'm going to always like dance for you guys or sing, like, especially high school students, y'all don't want to hear my voice, but sometimes I do to get your attention. If that's you change it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's not in a script. And that's also not something you can dictate to someone because that's not everyone's personality. I've seen other teachers who are so, like, they talk slow, yes, quiet, and they can keep the attention of their students and never raise their voice above this level. And they, they still have expression in that quiet way. They have it, right? Yes. Um, and, and, and that's something you can't, you can't, um, you can't teach in a book. And so I think you, you, you point to a good point and like, not everyone needs to go to college, no. right? Like everyone doesn't need to have the same pathway. And so schools, basically I'm trying to say, we're not trying to create robots. Schools need to look different. Classrooms need to look different. Schools can be designed differently. In my opinion, that's also what I think. I think once you have a certain amount of kids and, you know, if they're getting honor roll, I want that mom as a teacher because she's doing something right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Alternative ways to actually becoming a teacher. That's totally what my program was about. I mean, like they gave us a master's degree at the end. And I think in today's society, that still means something. But I absolutely agree with that. Like I am, 
I mean, I'm a special educator. I am the one that was talking to plumbers about how do you become a plumber? Yes. Because it looks like some of my kids like to build stuff. And I mean, if they can get the caca part aside, you look like you make <laughs> some good money. And, you know, we, we do have to, I think, um, rethink a lot of the ways we think about schools and like how that's also making our children think about the world. Yes. Um, like I even think grades. Oh yeah. You are so spot on. And I'm so sorry that we're running out of time, but I think <sighs> we have got some great ideas for episodes in the future, not just for my mm -hmm. podcast, but if you choose to continue yours too, I look forward to it, but yes, is, we have to do it. Yes. What is one thing that you ultimately, like, if you could boil it down to one little bitty thing, what would you want our listeners to know? Um, I want parents to know in particular that it is okay to ask questions and not know whether the answer that you're going to get um, is going to validate what you think. And it's okay to change our minds because we are definitely learning this parenting job as we go. There is nowhere where there's a parenting class that I'm aware of, except for some really good churches, right? Like, I just yeah. don't know how else we to learn this except talking to each other and trial and error. And so I'm so grateful for this podcast that you're starting. And I'm so excited to listen to everyone else's episodes and learn through every other parents' experiences. And I, I feel like I'm gonna be crying and laughing um, and so I just want parents to know like trial and error is totally what I think parenting is. And even sometimes teaching it, it's like even when we have the training, that's what it is because every child and every environment is so different. We cannot compare ourselves, but we can learn and talk, right? And share our stories and learn from each other's mistakes, you know? Yes, and we can do it on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> yes, they're so useful. And I used to hate on it, but I am finding um, that I am loving everything I'm learning because I have gotten back on these platforms. So as much if you're a parent that's like, oh my God, I feel so alone. Y'all, there's parents that act like you out there. I promise you join on us. these platforms. <laughs> yes, join us. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me, Neuroforming Parent. I'm so happy you're starting your podcast and to be part of it. Thank you so much for being here. And for our listeners, if you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I'm the Neuroforming Parent. Elizabeth is the Reading Garden Club and hashtag Dear Reading Teacher podcast, respectively. So please support us, support our podcast consider leaving a review on this podcast or on the Dear Reading Teacher episode two podcast. Stay tuned for more empowering conversations. And this is the Neuroforming Parent signing off.